This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great stuff there from Bill Rabinowitz. Wow. I mean, the Ross Bjork stuff is just really, really interesting. And, and listen, this is not, I'm, I don't know you can be anti AD or pro AD. Um, <laughs> I just, I just think the, 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 the bottom line for me is I understand the reticence to hire a Gene Smith guy because you want to hire your own guy. I just think when you start to look at the concerns of the Ross Bjork hire, I, it's just it's 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 alarming to me that either the president of Ohio State didn't know or didn't care about those things or overlooked those things. And I think that's, you know, I think Ross Bjork could be a great AD hire here. You never know with these kind of hires. But, man, that like I just you're Ohio State. You can have anybody. You didn't even have to hire a Gene Smith guy. You, you just had to hire somebody that you didn't have to worry about. And it now does feel like for the next year to five years, we're going to be looking at Ross Bjork as kind of a prove it to me. I don't think the AD hire in Columbus should have to prove it to you. That's probably a fair way to put it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm torn because again, I, I, and I've, I've already been on the record on, on our show saying this, like, I, I don't know. I, I think the, the idea of like w- what an AD is, I think we elevate what that means. Like, Oh, athletic director. I, I think it's just kind of like a glorified position for some sort of, fun like a fundraiser it's 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 just like a, it's a fundraiser with a, with a fancy title kind of um and i think if he does that well and that's the most important part of his job then then yeah I, like where where you run into problems i think with ad's is when i mean it's it's the jimbo fisher situation well it, it's not to say the the everything bill wrote about in his piece which again you can find it over at the columbus dispatch uh website um, I mean, he, he, he did an awesome job covering it. Like that's the stuff you worry about the NCA violations and all these different things. And then on the back end of it, you worry about what kind of happened with Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, where you gave the guy an extension, didn't have an out. So now you're paying all this money. Not that we should worry about all these big boosters money and, and, and the people who can, or who are paying that bill, but it's more so like how far does a, a head coaching hire set you back? 
if he's the one making that decision. So I think the basketball program now with um, Chris Holtman out of the picture, like what they do from here will be interesting. How much Ross has say in that, I'm assuming they're going to at least consult him a little bit because it's not just going to be Gene Smith on the way out making the hire, I would assume. Um, like what, how that, that might be sort of a test run of, okay, how does this guy do with this process? Because if they at some point do need to move on from Ryan day or Ryan day were to go to the NFL or something like that, you want to kind of get an idea of what he's going to do, who he's going to bring in and that you don't end up with a similar situation to Texas A&M. But yeah, some, some eye-opening stuff from bill um, stuff that we didn't necessarily know the full story or the, or the full picture on. And I, I think the question I asked him is, is, an important one because I like, do you get the sense that he can, he's changed from that experience? Like, do you get the sense that if he had to face that sort of thing again, he would go about it differently. And you know, he was only what, two years at Western Kentucky. And then he goes to Ole Miss. Like he was only in like the infancy of, of his time as an athletic director. I would hope that that sort of allowed him to see some different things and and he would change his perspective and maybe the way he would go about that if he would if he was met with it in the future. I just think what's befuddling about the hire is when it comes to performance related and maybe this is unfair but this is how we how we judge ADs as well not just well how much money can they get in the coffers but when it comes to performance related I mean, if if your big stuff at at Ole Miss are you backed a crooked coach in Hugh Freeze, and you then really uh, uh, kind of attacked or or uh, the suggestion is uh, directed an attack on and lie a, a smear campaign effectively at your old head coach to make your current head coach look good. I mean, I yes, I do think it's important that you you can show that you've learned from that. I also think there has to be some sort of success that you can point to at a major program that you've that you've yeah. you know worked with, and it's like, okay, where's the major success he had that that football, basketball, or anywhere else had at Ole Miss? Where's the major success they had at A and M at literally any one of their programs at a national level? And I think that's what concerns me. Is it's like. You know, there are, I mean, listen, we it, everything is morally relative in uh, 2024. So if he had come off uh, uh, Texas A&M winning the, the, the super, uh, super Bowl, winning the college football playoffs or being <laughs> the college football That would be impressive. If they that won would be really Bowl. impressive. Like if they had beaten Pat Mahomes in the playoffs, he might be cool. the new 49ers head coach, for God's sakes. <laughs> but I do think at some point, like, Okay, the on-field stuff wasn't great. Okay, there are some concerns about how he does business. Okay, it's 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 just a lot of strikes for a guy at a job that those like like does Ted Carter understand that the the Ohio State job is one of like ten jobs that everybody's going for? Yeah, like it's it's not again. This is not anti Ross Bjork, but it's like I just I get really bugged. At the, the idea when a president or, or, or this happens in the NFL all the time. I wanted my guy there. My guyism fails as much as anything else in the NFL. And I understand the idea of hiring who, you know, I understand comfort hires. I really do. But at the end of the day, man, it, it, it just feels a little bit more icky than I want it to, or that I feel like it should at Ohio state. Doesn't mean it won't work out. Doesn't mean Ross Bjork hasn't learned. I want to, you know, like everybody else, but give Ross a chance to kind of earn um, earn his place in, in in Ohio State lore, and hopefully it's not 
I'm going to say this name and it's, it's a loaded kind of thing, but hopefully it's not another Andy Geiger where every way we turn around, it's another, you know, eye roll and what the hell are we doing here? I'm assuming that when you talk about like, where's the success, I'm assuming it probably, and we don't see the books. We don't know like all the money he's brought in, all these different things. I'm assuming it comes from that. Like to me, that has to be the bottom line where they're looking and saying this new era of college football, NIL, all this different stuff. We need to be really, really good at this. And if they want him for that reason, I can understand why. Should that be the whole story? No. Like there should be more to a, a player or, or more to a, an AD than than just that he raises a lot of money for you. Um, but I do think on some level, like that has to be the thing that's that that got him this job and that they're looking at and they feel impressed with. Because, yeah, like the other stuff, the old Miss stuff that that Bill wrote about, the um, the, the stuff with, with Jimbo Fisher, like that isn't as impressive. I did think it was interesting too, the sort of the, my, my last question of Bill, just about Brian Hartline and what bringing in Chip Kelly or, or, an, or an outside offensive coordinator means. Um, I think that was interesting and, 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 and important for fans to hear because, again, we, we, that comes up all the time, right? We see it in the comments on the 92 to the Fan YouTube page where it's just constantly, well, what does this mean for Brian Hartline? Is this disrespectful to Brian Hartline? And I, I think it's important to establish that, like, maybe he doesn't love the idea that he's not going to get to be a play caller yet. But in the end, it should just be a benefit of it to, to, to him that he gets a chance to, like, learn from somebody who's really good at it. So um, and I think I think it was interesting that he brought up, like, Ryan Day probably didn't have the time to sit down with him and, like, really help him in that realm. So now that he gets a chance to work with somebody more closely, I think that that's that's a really good thing. And hopefully it means down the line we are talking about Brian Hartland being the primary play caller. So really good stuff with Bill Rabinowitz, guys. Again, check out the piece on the Columbus Dispatch. But while you and I are talking, uh, I missed uh, the show earlier this week, and you had a impassioned piece by James Franklin. And so I want to let you set it up and play it because you said you wanted to kind of get my reaction on it. Yeah. So why don't you take it away, bud? Yeah, I, so I talked about this a little bit in the episode I did solo the other day, but I, I just thought, I mean, in some ways – we found the one thing that James Franklin's better at than Ryan day. Like the one thing he beats Ryan day at, he's definitely a lot more, I think profound when he speaks at a microphone than, than Ryan day probably is. Um, and I've always felt that way. I, I think that's probably part of the reason why he got the job at Penn state in the first place and why he's maybe linked to other jobs out there. Cause he knows how to talk his way through things pretty eloquently. And I thought this was well said by him. Um, and, and I thought also it was interesting. It was like from the gate, he sets the stage of like, I don't want to, I'm not going to be the next guy complaining about the money. I think like, that's not going to be my point here. And then he gets into kind of why the tides are kind of changing and what it all means. So I'll play you the clip. I want your reaction to it. I know how I felt about it. I already reacted to it a little bit the other day and I'll follow up with what you say, but I just want to see what, what your kind of thoughts were on, on James's take on everything and every, everything that's changing in college football. My body's ready. <laughs> I forgot that. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be helpful if I turned um, down the from college. If I turned first down of the, all, let me say I this: I know really nobody wants to hear um, from college footballs complaining about about the current model um, because of the money, and I get that. I I, I do. So I, I want to kind of preface my my statement, um, but I do I do think the Big Ten and the SEC commissioners taking a leadership role in this um, is really important because it's not it's not headed in a good direction, really, for anybody. 
Um, I don't think it's 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 the right thing for players. Um, I think you guys have heard me speak on this before. I think when coaches went too far and were limiting where players could transfer to, they were abusing that. We went from one extreme to the other. You you can't tell me that it's good for the student athletes to transfer three, four times. Every time you, you transfer, the likelihood of graduating goes down. Um, I don't think that's in anybody's best interest. The ability to overcome adversity, um, I think, in college athletics is, is really important. I think we've lost some of that, the path of, of least resistance. Um, obviously, when you get into NIL, that, that's a factor. And I think what, what you're seeing is um, my biggest concern is you're having people leave college football that would have never left college football because a lot of the head coaching positions, coordinator positions, and assistant coaches positions, it's gotten further and further away from what they signed up for. Um, everybody knew you had to recruit to coach them. Uh, there was a balance between those two, but all these other things are taking you further and further away from coaching and developing kids and and development is 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 like a word that isn't even used anymore first of all let me say this so um yeah go ahead so so what was your initial reaction what what did you like kind of about what he had to say uh i think first of all the fact that he you know he didn't he wasn't making it about the money because i think Mm -hmm. so many times you hear these coaches talk out of their ass about like Oh, this this isn't what I signed up for, and, and and all this money that's getting thrown around like this isn't for me anymore. And I think that's just you know like that's just ignorant. Like th- this is the way that the, of of the, the like the the old way of doing things is the way of the dodo. Um, and I think you just got to kind of you got to embrace it on some level. And I, I like the fact that he he brings up something like development, which I, I can understand why from a coaching standpoint that would be a a concern and I, and, and he, there's, there's more to that clip. It was like five minutes long that he talked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of talked about how, you know, like I go sit in these kids living rooms and I tell them like, I want you to come to my program because I want a chance to like mold you. Like you come here and you might not play your first year, but you know, by year two or three, you're going to play and we're going to turn you into something. And and I just wonder like what the ripple effects are, because I, I think he's onto something with that. I, I do think there's something to the idea that sometimes a guy isn't just a Jeremiah Smith who's going to come here. No matter what, he's going to the NFL most likely. They need time to sort of grow and develop before they go to the NFL. And so I think there's a, a ripple effect of what does that mean for guys going to the NFL? Are they as developed if they're constantly switching schools and going from coach to coach and program to program, if they're not taking the time to kind of get developed? And I also just, in, in relation to Ohio State, my comment was I think Ohio State is kind of the best of both worlds where they can bring in those guys that are both ready for the NFL sooner but also they have a reputation of we want to develop you. We're going to develop you. And the proof is in the pudding because they have all these guys in the NFL that they can point to and say, well, look at this guy, look at that guy, especially at the wide receiver position. Right? So I, I think what he's saying is sound and it's, it's very thoughtful and it's not just the overreaction to, Oh, it's all changing. And I do think on some level he brings up like going from one extreme to the next I've kind of said, and we can talk about this a little bit more. I think the transfer portal and, and, and how that's kind of working is is a bigger problem than the NIL stuff. Like I, the money is what it is. And I, I think it's like, if you take that away, 
it's just going to be what it used to be, which is people are getting that money anywhere. It's just not, it's just not public. Right. But the transfer portal thing, I, I think there's something to the idea that I'm not saying restrict it. I don't know what the answer is, but the idea that like, yeah, it was probably not the right answer before where it was, if you transfer, you have to sit out a year, but also the idea that these guys can just transfer willy nilly. I understand it's almost like an NFL free agency thing, but I do think you're, these these players aren't necessarily always realizing the importance of staying somewhere and giving it time either. That doesn't mean like if it's a bad situation, yeah, get out. I get that. But I also think there's certain guys, and I think James Franklin probably was trying to allude to this, where like we want to work with you and it might take some time, but just give us the time to kind of mold you and it'll work out in the end. Um, listen, I, I thought James did a better job of talking about this with less emotion and, and when I say less emotion, I mean, less panic than other coaches have. I also think within his answer does, does kind of relay what I think is a fundamental issue with how coaches are not adapting to this at all and how they think of what college football was and what college football wasn't. I think the best thing that James said in the five-minute piece you talked about was, hey, that college football you loved ain't coming back. So whatever we do in the future is going to be some sort of morphing of the two extremes. And I do think that there is there is wiggle room, and I think there's conversation piece in that. But like in 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 that piece that you played, that two of the two of the minutes that you played are the five minutes. Well, uh, you know, guys, the chances of graduating go down from from one year to a next or every time you graduate, which is fair. One, that is like historical data. So we don't have enough data to suggest uh, that as college football compliance departments, transfer departments, GMs, what have, you know, football departments, as they have expanded, that that we actually might be able to solve some of the educational issues that prop up when a guy goes from one school to another two, I, I, I guess my point is education, uh, meaning a guy getting a degree, isn't the only way this becomes successful for him. You know what I mean? Like, and so college coaches, and I, I, they love to flaunt. I have a 95% graduation rate and they love to go ahead. and, And that's cool. I get it. That used to be a measure of success. It's not anymore. And as this becomes big business, the educational component of this is going to be more secondary. It doesn't mean it's totally secondary, but it's it's just it can't have the same weight given the 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 changes in how players can hop from port to port and how things go. So, so do you think nothing needs to change then with like the with with the new this new era? Like I I, I understand like I understand that there needs to be an embracing by the by the coaches, and I 100 percent agree. I've been I've been advocating for players to get paid and all this for a while, and that the original transfer rules were stupid. But you, do you think like what the way it is is just it it is it fully the coaches just have to embrace it, or is it the coaches have to embrace it while also maybe there does need to be some litigation that that changes some of the way that this stuff works i think the coaches need to embrace a flexible mindset on what constitutes success for individual players and this idea that more kids are falling through the cracks because of the the transfer portal specifically i don't think it's true like i i mean i was around in the in the iron ages all right in the early days in the prehistoric ooze of college football, the way it existed for 70 years before a hundred years before this happened. And I saw uh, to me the best guys. And I, I lived on the floor with some of these guys, my, my sophomore year in college, 
there were three guys that, that legitimately were NFL players if all they had done was go to class and play football. But they didn't. And it's funny to me that coaches are okay with that guy falling through the crack. Uh, and I'm going to say one of the names because I thought the kid was brilliant. Kevin Ream was a kid that as a freshman, which it's hard to do at a spot like Bowling Green, as a freshman walked in and was one of their brightest spots defensively and had a chance to be the NFL player. He had the build, he had the athleticism, he had everything. And because of the perception of, and I, I don't want to get into the reasons why, because again, that's his kind of life, his journey. But like, I saw, I saw, saw Bowling Green kind of wash their hands of the kid. So it, it's funny, like when a kid washes their hands of a school, that's ah, a tragedy and another kid fell through the cracks and he got into the portal, but he didn't get another uh, landing spot. But yet when a, when a school does that of a kid, it's totally justified. And so it's less about, hey, education doesn't matter. And it's more, okay, what are the other things that matter? How are the other ways we can set these kids up for success? For instance, when um, can we have a post-playing post career fund that we can boast to kids that, hey, if let's say you come here for two years, you transfer out, and let's say you don't land somewhere else, we're going to help you land on your feet with this fund. And that means you can come back and just be a student and we'll help you pay for it. And they've done this stuff. I mean, Maurice Claret is a famous name of a guy that's gone back and finished off his degree. But like, these are the kind of things like, I just think the idea that life begins and ends when you leave a program. I mean, I think secondary support is another way that you can, you can support these kids post playing career. But the only way you support them is if they play football for you. Well, then we get to the heart of the matter. It's not really about education. It's about football. And so I also think there's a fundamental thing here that we have to address. Coaches love the money themselves. Coaches love doing all the shit that players do every single year, every single day. But when a 19-year-old kid does it, oh, Lordy Lord, we can't do this. This is, this is, this is unseemly. This is ungainly. Like, guys, Alabama literally lied about retaining this is Kalen DeBoer. What is it? A month on the job. They, they delayed the hiring. Uh, they delayed uh, uh, their offensive coordinator grub going to the NFL till after yeah. Alabama got out of the 30 day window. Where's the outrage on that? Yeah. Like let's, that, that let's was, be that honest was shady. here. That was very, well, no, shady. but that's happening everywhere. Like that's literally happening. And that kind of crap happens. Right. And then but, people just kind of gloss over it. And if you don't think those two things are related, guys, don't hold the kids to a higher level of ethics. Don't hold an 18-year-old kid whose brain isn't fully formed. I know. I was 18. Hell, I'm 38. My brain is fully formed. Stop holding kids to a higher level of standard than grown-ass men. And, yeah. and and these college coaches love to play collar, uh, these 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 parlor games. They love to play the shell game. They love to play. Ah, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and leave because I can because that's my right. You got a contract, and now these same jackasses are saying, "Well, we got to we got to get these kids under contract." Yeah, right. We got it's going to well, be a two year contract. You, well, let me ask you: Can they break that contract like you can? Because are we going to start setting it up? Because clearly contracts don't mean a damn thing to administrators, to any sort of college staff, any support staff, 
Alonzo Highsmith, and I, this is not about Alonzo. I actually really like Alonzo. <laughs> but Alonzo Highsmith is the GM for Miami. He's helped bringing in all these guys. Half After the initial signing day, you, okay, recruits in the bag. I'm going to go work with Elliot Wolf in New England. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, well, what are we doing here? Yeah. This is happening. These well, parlor tricks and this bullshit <laughs> is happening. And then they turn around. Well, they, it's transfer portal. That's a problem. Well, where's the coaching transfer portal and yeah. how that operates? So, because that is as crippling to the sport as a bunch of kids who might be making decisions based off money. Would we prefer if it was money plus education plus football? Well, and so this is why I, I, I thought this audio was profound or more profound than other stuff we've heard. I, and I didn't expect it to get you as fired up as it did because I know this topic fires you up in general when other coaches are kind of complaining but I, I thought that this was kind of the, the middle ground argument, right? Because I do think Franklin in that clip, if whether you listen to just the part we played or the full five minutes of it, he comes off and, and I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm just he, he's bullshitting me and I'm I'm falling for it. But <laughs> to me, Franklin comes off as like that middle ground between no, this isn't exactly what I signed up for, but I also do want to embrace it. And uh, like I, there there was a sense of like care in this tone where it's like, at the end of the day, like, as a coach, I, I actually do care about my kids graduating and getting developing them into, into football players, but also into, into me- like, you, you hear that, st- you, it's, it's very cliche, I get it, but, like, we heard that stuff playing football in high school or other sports in high school, it's like a coach values that relationship of, like, I consider myself like almost another parent to you. Like, I want to mentor you. I want to lead you. So I just thought, like, you kind of got the middle ground with Franklin where it was this blend of, I, I understand this is the way it has to be, and we have to embrace that. But I also know, like, where, when I got into this field, this is where what I wanted to get into it for. How can I bring those two things together? Which is why well, I thought and, it was interesting. And listen, what I will say is, I thought James had a moderate take on it, and he didn't he didn't prey on a lot of the um, the fear based parts yeah. of this. I I understand. The the and I want to I want to say like I don't I doubt James's ability to win in the Big Ten especially now with <laughs> Oregon coming in Washington like yeah. I think Penn State's going to continue to fall down the pecking order because I think they're a really good program but I don't think they're an elite program. That being said, I I guess my point is we're everybody who just focuses on transfer portal NIL state of college football they're being incredibly selective at which part of the picture they're looking. It's not college football is living or dying. It is, okay, what are the things impacting the health of college football? And when you have the college football playoffs selling for $118 million a game, the health is good. When you have what happened at Alabama which, guys, the only reason we know what happened at Bama is because it's Bama. So if it's happening at Bama, you can best believe it's happening at every other school. Uh, not every other school, but way too many schools than we should. So when you just when, when coaches are just commenting on name, image, and likeness and transfer portal as the boogeyman, they just keep pressing that panic button. And the frustration is that is one part of what needs to be fixed in college football. And it's, and it's pointing fingers. It's, well, that's the problem over there. And it is convenient for coaches, administrators, uh, ADs. It's convenient to that that's the boogeyman when there are other things that are just as easy to clean up with. 
Like, honestly, I think if you're okay, your your uh, OC is going to leave. Okay, cool. Now that it restarts for 30 days. All right. Uh, if, if And here's another thing. If college football wanted to institute an actual hiring time frame that then allowed you, meaning that once you hire your coaching staff, you're locked in for at least when it comes to head coaches, OCs and DCs, these should be things that you should start talking about. So it's less that, hey, how can we fix that thing over there that terrifies us because it's wildly different than anything we've ever done? And it's more, why don't you attack every other issue in college football to the degree that every coach is addressing, attacking, or running down name image likeness in the transfer portal? Because ev- all those other things are just as significant of an issue. And by the way, uh, player movement, does actually help you because it helps turn your sport into something that people pay attention more to. When a job opens up, people are having the conversation now, hey, what what are the players that would make sense for our program? The, The transfer portal is a national talking point, which means people are talking about your sport year round. And when the transfer portal does open up, people are talking about the names that go into that portal when they're big names. So even though that is that is a silver lining of a bigger issue that has a lot of different tentacles that eventually will have to be dealt with, this idea it's just an absolute negative and nothing good comes from it, I, I think the families who have uh, bread on their table because of this would disagree. I think... I think the fact that this alongside the expanded playoffs has become a huge talking point and is and has elevated college football to 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 more than just a sporadically regional enterprise, I think there's tangible benefits here. I don't see the tangible benefit to some jagoff coach delaying leaving his job so that the, that the the school he's leaving doesn't go ahead and lose more guys in the portal. That, where's the tangible benefit in that other than at Alabama? But again, I don't hear anybody I don't, anybody raising the alarms on that one. Why? Because that's about power. And when coaches have that power, that's cool. When universities have that power, ah, that's cool. When kids have that power, well, they don't deserve it, or they're too young, or they're too immature, or they're too this, or or they're being preyed upon, some of which is true. But when everybody starts attacking everything other than NIL and the transfer portal with, to the same degree that they're attacking that, we start dealing with these dipshit, disingenuous, heel-ass coaches. We start dealing with some of the big business problems within these departments, third-party bad faith actors. Like when we start to deal with that to the same degree, then I'll go ahead and, and, and stand down when it comes down to this absolutely false logic that NIL and the transfer portal are ruining college football. So I think this is a logical place to take a break. I think I blacked out a little bit there. But I, no, listen, again, I really want to commend James Franklin. He said it in a much more gentle, thoughtful way yeah. than any coach has. And, and I just, that's, again, I just that's why I like con- the audio. Because I, I, I just thought it was different than what we've heard. Everything we've heard at this point is along the lines of what you're saying. Oh, no, college football's over and I didn't sign up for this. And he was very thoughtful about it. It was, I don't want to talk about the money. There's some things that I think we need to do differently. This was my goal of getting into coaching. I think we have to try to blend the two. I'm willing to embrace it. We have to embrace it. I, I just thought it was well said. It was my my overall point. So. so kudos to James Franklin. I might disagree. I might think that coaches still lack flexibility, but at least appreciate somebody not going, the sky is falling here yeah. and, and yeah. going little boy blue on us. So <laughs> we got one more segment to go, guys. We got to react to the staff changes in Columbus, but first a word from our sponsors. 